Hello, everyone. It's time again to talk Ann Arbor area prep hoops with your Coach Speak podcast crew, Derek Seidel from Napoleon, Josh Trope from Chelsea, and yours truly, Matt Seidel from Olivet, all head boys basketball coaches at their respective schools. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, December 30, one day after we spent a little time together at Spring Arbor University as all three of our teams uh, competed in the inaugural Shot Clock Classic. Uh, long time no see. Fellas, how you doing? Doing well. Yeah, it was a good day for the podcast. It was a good day of, of basketball yesterday for sure. Just to, as we get going with this, something that I thought was funny, I got something that you know, some of the pictures, you know, JTV did an awesome job yesterday at the event. I know we're going to get into it a little bit. The, uh, <laughs> This, the, the, my favorite picture of the day uh, of Trope is, is him with his arms. He always does this, this hands under his underarms, but crosses his arms. He looks like an angry elf on the sideline with his arms like that. Like, dude, why do you hold your arms so high up, man? It's so funny. I, I was cracking up looking at that. And then my other favorite thing, again, this is kind of off topic from it, but you got little Trope. So we got coach Trope is calling from the sideline. One shot, one shot. And, who is it that fires an NBA range three? His own son. His own son. And Trope's throwing his hands up after he makes it. That was outstanding from the event. Uh, some some good funny things to note. The, the other thing you got it. You got to look at it. I can make fun of myself. I'm I'm an awkward dude at times. The picture. I don't. I, I'm the worst picture taker in the world. If you check the picture they took after the game, I'm awkwardly standing like two feet almost away from the team, like just like standing there really awkwardly. So I thought that was hilarious too. So if anyone wants to laugh, you can, you can laugh at me on that one as well. But anyways, I know I took this off the rails before I even got started. In taking shots at my, that was a height joke. There's no doubt. You got to go elf. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's so weird. I don't notice the things I do with my hands. And obviously, you know, you don't realize things like that, but that was not a happy pose just for the record. Like when my hands are there, that's not a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, so, so I was you know, mad at somebody uh, going back to Luke Trobe hitting that shot too. Yeah. Not very happy with that. I think my comment um, was the, the, funniest part of the day for me my comment loud enough for the scores table to hear was it's a good thing he made that or he'd be walking home after this game and the guy running the clock yelled back at me after that shot i drive your kid home so i thought that was that was pretty funny but um no it was a great event uh great day it's good to see you guys again i, I unfortunately did not get to see matt's team play i got to see Derek's team play i got to saw adrian uh, northwest play I did not stick around for the uh, the Western Hanover game. That would have been too long of a day. But, no, it's great to see a lot of great people, good people there. Dan Young, head of BCAM, was there for the event, which was really cool that he came out. Uh, the commissioner of the Crossroads League, Larry DeSempler, made an appearance. And um, just, again, a lot of great people and, and, and a real, you know, you know, a lot of great coaches and teams. It was, it was a good event. I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to regroup after the angry elf comment. Um, yeah, and, and to see a coach's kid uh, not understand, uh, you know, late clocks situations and just when in doubt, fire from 32 and hit nothing but net. Um, by the way, uh, Young Trophy was four for four yesterday, including a runner. I was just happy that he got his, I think, his first career steal maybe at the varsity level. That was nice right there. So he's, he's starting to add to the other stats. But, yeah, that, he's an impressive little fella. Uh, Steve Bell's um, comments about him on Twitter were awesome. He, uh, he's a 2025 who looks like a 2027, but he's playing with like a 2023. So I think that put it all into a, in a nutshell, Derek, as for your awkwardness, it is, it was never uh, more on display than your interview 
on JTV with your hands. I don't know what you were doing. You didn't know where to put them. Like just put them behind you or put them in front of you or put them in your pocket. You've got, you're talking with your hands and you got them awkwardly to the side. Like, I mean, and your comments were awesome. Your mom was proud of you, but uh, man, I'll tell you what, yeah, we got to work on so this hand I, I, location. I finally understood the Will Ferrell scene in Talladega Nights. I finally understood it. Like, I didn't know what to do. Like, just like I said, put them in front of my face, like Will Ferrell. You know, oh, I think what it really <laughs> shows is that we're all made for a podcast. This is why we don't have a TV show. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, we, we don't have Hollywood looks. We don't even know what to do with our hands. I mean, I mean, I mean yeah, we're, we're made for radio and podcast. Well, let's talk a little bit about this event since we were all part of it. It was five games. It had a bunch of local teams in it. Spring Arbor University, the Shot Clock Classic. Um, obviously, Jeff Beckman, the assistant coach there and a member of their national championship team a couple years ago, was uh, kind of the organizer of it. Ryan Cottingham obviously uh, uh, was a big part of it. Heck, I saw Ryan walking up and down aisles, picking up trash yesterday. He had his players. I mean, it was just what a first-class operation they have, great culture in that program, uh, top-notch facility. I mean, you just we, we could not have played it at a better place for a high school. I mean, you, you, you can play at the Breslin or Chrysler, but it's too big. That is an intimate, uh, beautiful arena. Uh, a couple of us uh, on this podcast had a chance to actually spend time in the main locker room. So we got a little perk. They gave the old man the perk since we played in the first game. I know Josh has the uh, – he plays his Spring Arbor card anytime he's there and gets that locker room. But – that is a, a fact. What, what a great recruiting tool that they have over there, but tremendous facility. You guys had to be impressed with that. Yeah. I mean, their locker room, I mean, for those that didn't see it, I mean, it's, it's a, a big 10 locker room in, in an NAI setting. It's unbelievable. And yes, I played my card, but I really didn't have to. I, I had the, uh, the hall of fame, all American Paul Meredith on my staff. I mean, he's still got keys to the place. I think there's a statue of him in the hallway. I mean, so we, we had no issue getting that locker room. Um, but you're right. The seating was, was is excellent. You got the seating in the back. Um, you got the end zones. You got the chairs. How about the big screen TV playing the game live while we're playing? Uh, lights get turned off with the uh, the spotlight on the starters as they get announced. I mean, just incredible um, experience for our kids. Well, you know, a lot of times kids don't like to, you know, show that. Uh, they like to be too cool or really try to keep their composure. But I think you could really see it on, on the kids' faces. Like they were enjoying it and they really kind of, um, even if they don't say it, they, they appreciated uh, you know, how cool it was to play in that type of a facility. And it was a good crowd the whole night too, I thought. I was a little worried about that. I thought maybe the, the crowds wouldn't be huge. Um, but overall, it, it felt like there was a decent crowd the whole night. They're actually, the last game, I know you guys weren't there. They actually had legit student sections in the last game oh, really? of the night. So that was pretty cool too. You know, I think the only thing that maybe wasn't perfect were the matchups. I mean, we just did not come up with a single game that was interesting at the end, uh, which, of course, being a shot clock classic, that would have been interesting to see how the shot clock impacted a close game. Um, I mean, all decent teams and 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 so, some of the lopsided scores may not if we, the two teams played next week, it might not be that way. You never know what's going on over Christmas break and just games got away from people and there was I guess one that maybe got flipped that people didn't uh you know the the Northwest Adrian game I don't know if people expected Northwest to put it on Adrian like they did um but all pretty much all double digits uh the couple couple wins were by 30 that was probably the only thing that wasn't perfect but um I, I think it looked like all 10 teams enjoyed themselves and uh you know I think the spectators it, it had to they had to be happy uh with what they got for their for their buck um to be there but um how about the media coverage, man? That's the other thing, you know, where we're located in Eaton County, we being Olivet, um, 
even Washtenaw County where, you know, Chelsea is and um, Jackson County, uh, JTV, and we're one of the sponsors of the event, but what a tremendous job they did promoting it. They live streamed every game. They had a, a broadcast crew. If you go on NFHS, they've got those games are on there where you can actually listen to the commentary. Um, they did the, you know, the post-game interviews and they did their homework beforehand. What a, what a top-notch first-class operation they run as well. Yeah, no doubt. It's really cool that they're able to do that. Um, you know, it, it would be nice if they could have that in every area, uh, you know, in Washtenaw County. I think that would be really cool if they had something similar to that where they were truly broadcasting high school games like their college games or NFL games. Um, you don't quite see that as much. And, and you're right, they did an outstanding job. I think a lot of those, the workers were there the entire day. Um, so obviously they they put it in a lot of time, you know, over, over a holiday or close to a, in between holidays. Um, that was really cool. I know they were kind of swapping out some of the announcers throughout the day, but yeah, I thought the coverage was really great. The pictures are great. They always get, take a bunch of pictures and, and post them for people to, to, to see and stuff. So I, I know, uh, I appreciate, and I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't elaborate too much. You guys really covered it all, but incredible job at the Jackson area, uh, to cover it. Not their, their M live reporter was there doing interviews in the hallways, I mean, I think in my seven years in and out of Chelsea, you know, with a, with a break at Spring Arbor there, I think we've had a reporter show up maybe at two games from, from MLive, Ann Arbor. I mean, it just, it just not, Ann Arbor does not cover sports. I mean, yesterday, the Sun-Times did a great job of covering the girls event that uh, Dexter and Chelsea played in at uh, airport, the airport jet showcase, which we play in later today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just thought overall they did a great job. I mean, JTV to have us all on an interview after the game and, you know, Jeff Beckman did a great job of getting pictures of the teams before and after the games. Just it was done right. It was almost like high school basketball used to be, you know, and, and good crowds. And as far as the matchups and, and disparity in scores, you know, it's Spring Arbor's in a tough spot, right? Every game's got to have one Jackson team in it because that ensures their crowd because there weren't a lot of Chelsea people or, and there weren't as many Olivet people there in Stockbridge as there were, say, a Napoleon or Center or Homer. Um so they got to have a Jackson area team in each game, but then it's tough to find a matchup appropriate outside the area because they, they obviously want teams outside the area to bring, you know, possible recruits in new, new um, people into the arena to have a great experience. So that, that, that's going to happen. But I think when you play in one of these events is more about the experience and than maybe the score or, or right. the outcome. Right. So this, the, you know, part of the, the, the name of this event was the shot clock classic and then there was obviously one going on at North Farmington High School and then they obviously had the one at Spring Arbor of which we were a part um, we all played with a shot clock and coached a game in the shot clock uh, you know first time as, as high school head coaches um, in, in this trial event it was kind of endorsed by BCAM and the MHSAA I guess what are, what are your initial thoughts after yesterday's uh, I mean going through it how'd your players feel about it how do you guys feel about it I think that the honest <clears throat> biggest takeaway is that it really didn't have a major effect. It didn't affect the game. And when I say that, I mean, like it didn't, uh, it wasn't like you're getting shot clock violations over and over again. Um, I don't think that it uh, totally disrupted the game. The game was able to flow. Well, I think all the games had a good flow. They had good pace. Um, obviously the shot clock doesn't allow for you to not have good pace, which is part of the reason why I think it's valuable. If a team wanted to hold the ball, um, or anything like that, they wouldn't be able to. So that that definitely served its purpose. I didn't see too many too many teams struggling with it late in the shot clock. There were a handful of possessions in our game where we got down to the end of the shot clock and had to force a shot or two. Um, I don't know if Stockbridge ever did in our game. Um, I know, I, I think, 
I saw one. There was one shot clock violation that I saw the whole. I don't know. Is there one in in the Olivet game? No, we almost had one. Um, uh, and because the coach uh, tried to call a set with under ten on the shot clock, I forgot we had a shot clock going. The players knew it. Unfortunately, the bench was counting down. Seriously, I was the guy that acted like a rookie, and uh, I, I corrected myself quickly. But we threw up a shot that was a that missed the rim. But they rebounded it, and the, you know because the clock, the people working at the table were were very well acclimated on how to do this. It never, it didn't even go off. But that would have been a shot clock violation had we rebounded. But they got it, and they just played through it. But I didn't see any either. There was one in the handover game, and okay. it was funny because the refs didn't blow the whistle. The shot clock went off, and and they just kind of like stood and like I think handover made another pass, and like. Eventually, like, oh, wait, wait, we got to, like, no one, like, it kind of, like, was really awkward for a second. I thought it was hilarious, but I think I, I left at halftime of the game. There might have been another one in the second half, but that might have been the only actual violation all day, mm. but it still did affect the game at times, and there was a handful of late shot clock possessions. I thought it was good overall. For the critics of the shot clock, this is my two-minute speech to you. Uh, one, there was no shot clock violations in our game. And two, it wasn't ever close. Center, I think, got down under five seconds one time. We purposely ran the shot clock down one time. We went uh, rocket, and I said one shot in the end, and we did a good job of that. We actually got a layup with two seconds left, used a little clock, and we were able to get a good shot off. So I was really happy about that. What I liked was teams were able to play a lot of zone throughout the day without the fear of someone pulling it out, refusing to shoot and hold, hold the ball at half court, which is ridiculous. Um, I also had a chance to talk to Dan Young before the game. Dan was there supporting this event and is in support of the shot clock as a former high school coach. He, he, you know, he admitted athletic directors do not want this. They don't want it. They don't like the idea of the additional cost. And they, they of course said, well, we're never going to find somebody that can run it. They won't know what they're doing, you know, and right away, Dan pointed to something out great. Spring Arbor had college kids running the clock yesterday. Guys that had never done it before. Just, Hey, here you go. Here's the buttons. This is how you reset it. They taught them five minutes before the first game and they ran the clock. I mean, it's, it's not hard. You could find a high school senior to have them do that. This is not, that is not a reason not to do it. And don't tell me the funds aren't out there. You know, we have funds for ridiculous things that, that we're spending money on. So I thought it was a great event. And Dan also brought up something at the North Farmington classic the day before um, that they did have a close game and it was just a beautiful thing. It was a five point game with like two minutes to go. And there was this beautiful flow up and down all the way to the end of the game, because it was like, it was that point where like with two minutes left, we're up five. We're all probably saying layup only, pulling the ball out, things like that. And it's just this ugly, mucked up game at the end. And and Dan actually commented that it was a beautiful end to a basketball game. Yeah, and that and that's the thing we missed, I guess, yesterday at our event is that it, we never got to witness that. We all witnessed it. We witnessed it every single day in the college and NBA. If you're going to watch a game, you see it all the time. So you know how it impacts the end of a game. We just didn't get that experience and won't be able to comment on it on the survey that we fill out. Um, I am a little worried that just because when the game was over, um, I'm, it felt like we didn't even, it was no different than a normal game. And so I, if that's the, you know, the, the anti-shot clock people, if that's going to be their argument, like, why do we need to spend this money? Why do we need to bring in extra table help? Because it really doesn't impact the game. Well, some games it won't impact, but I think what like the point Derek made, or maybe Josh made the fact that teams can, you know, maybe there wouldn't have been so much zone yesterday 
if, if there wasn't a shot clock, because, you know, maybe Stockbridge would have said out oh, Napoleon, we got to go man because Napoleon's just going to back this thing out. Um, or, you know, Homer could have said the same thing. Homer actually did go man. But so it, it really does. It impacts the way you coach the game, even though it might not be a bunch of shot clock violations or near shot clock violations. But I am still a heavy proponent of it. I hope we I hope we get it. I hope they they make a decision at the end of before the end of the school year. So that like like Coach Samaha said, I was communicating with him earlier today. That's he definitely in favor of it after playing two games over at North Farmington, but he would really hope that they, you know, they, they make a decision early so that we have the summer and the fall and, and you know, the whole season to get ready for it, opposed to just kind of throwing it at us in September, October. And, and that's my fear is that they'll wait till late summer or early and they'll say, yeah, we're going to go to it, but we're not going to go to it until the next year and give everybody a year to get their, you know, their stuff together. Let's just make the decision right now that we're going to use it for the 22, 23 season. And then we all have to figure it out and we will figure it out. I'm actually at Olivet at the month, if the funds are there, we're going to purchase our shot clocks this year in the off season, get them installed before there's a rush on it, actually get them hooked up, figure out how they work. So we'll try to get ahead of the game. And also maybe that entice uh, some decision makers. I don't know that Olivet has that kind of power, but that's kind of our thinking. I'm sure there's some other schools that maybe are trying to be proactive with that as well. So. The other thing to note too, like you're saying, if it gets thrown on you, I mean, what we, we knew this was coming up, but I mean, it's not like we, any of you guys prepping for this more than these last week. I mean, we, we just worked on it like this week and last week practices not like you don't need a year right. to get ready for this. You, you need, right. you just, once it's in, in, in st- nobody, nobody yesterday had any issues. So it's not like you could, you could find out a week before the season started, you're playing with a shot clock. It wouldn't kill you right? It, it wouldn't kill you. So, um, you know, it just makes the game better overall. And hopefully eventually people can get out of their own way and do what's best for the game and not what's best for ADs or whatever. Right. And before, before we jump around, uh, just staying with the event, since again, uh, so much, so much local flavor at spring Arbor yesterday, any, any teams or players, uh, in our, in our coverage area, I guess that, that caught your eye, uh, that you're like, wow, or, or maybe kind of made you scratch your head at all. <laughs> I think, like, as we mentioned a little bit previously, the biggest story, I think, of the day was Northwest. Um, you know, I think if you, if you asked if there was a Vegas line on this game, they probably would have been the underdog. Uh, again, I know Vegas doesn't make lines on uh, local uh, Jackson County high school games, but just, you know, for, for the sake of it, um, they ended up dominating the game for the majority of, of the of the day. And um, Adrian obviously made a comeback in the second half to make this final score closer. I thought they were really impressive. Um, Duncan Moffat had an outstanding game. He shot the lights out. Um, early on, which was really cool to see. I think he, uh, I guess, according to coach, he cramped up because he was not in a game uh, in the fourth quarter, hardly at all. I guess that was why he was out. Um, but yeah, he had, he ended up with 21 points and just really, really helped, uh, help them on the offensive end by hitting shots. But he also bothered Joe Francis. I mean, he was an absolute pest defensively and Francis was just not himself at all for the first half of that game. And that was the biggest reason I think why, why Adrian struggles because they were made so uncomfortable by Northwest and they're switching defenses and, uh, really Moffitt getting, getting into their guards and pressuring a ton. I, I thought, uh, Duncan Moffitt played great. He, he hit threes. Uh, I thought more importantly than his defensive pressure, he handled Adrian's pressure because against Adrian, you can't turn the ball over at half court because they love those runouts. He did a great job of getting them into their offense, things like that. I thought um, your team, uh, Napoleon, moved the ball extremely well against the zone in the second half. I was really impressed on how quickly your guys get into the diamond press. It, it blows me away how they are able to get into their spot so quickly after a make. 
Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know. It's just that it was something we can't do. So I was really impressed by that as well. I thought uh, Stockbridge showed a lot of grit in the third quarter. They could have easily went away and they made that a ball game made the, you know, you guys tighten up a little bit and then you guys really, you guys took care of business after that. As far as players standing out, I thought the Hinkle kid from uh, Michigan center, hit like four NBA threes against us, <laughs> you know, he looked good. He was our guy in the scouting report that we thought might be able to go off for 20 and he had 15. So, you know, I thought he was a really good player. Again, I didn't get to see the first or the last game. Um, I don't really want to talk about the Adrian game because they're, they're one of our league opponents. Um, but I will also say, I thought it was interesting that Derek used to timeout up 26 points. I mean, that, that's one of those we could have just say, hey, I'm just timeout for, for subs, you know, and keep it rolling. You know, when I'm the next game, I don't really appreciate that. I mean, let's go. I didn't get the subs in, man. And they, they gave us the 30 seconds we took it. So that reminded me at Ypsilanti a few years ago, Josh, when you were coaching, you called a timeout. Uh, you were the game before Imani Bates was going to play against River Rouge, and you guys called a late timeout in a similar situation, and you got booed. Yeah, because the, the pack oh, yeah. gym was waiting for Bates to come on the floor, and here's Chelsea calling a timeout up 25 or whatever you got. I, I still remember that, but oh my goodness, man. But, uh, Ian Weller uh, played well again. It's just a, a big, the big kid from Northwest. I was impressed with him. Um, speaking of that Northwest game, I, uh, you know, Coach Moffitt with that combination defense that he came out in, I, I thought that was the difference in the game. I, Adrian, and he called a timeout after the first possession of the game because they, they screwed up defensively what they probably had worked on all week. And he lit his team up a little bit and they didn't make any more mistakes for a while and built, you know, a lead that got into the 30s in the in the third quarter. I think at the end of three, it was still 30 before Adrian made a run. But that combination defense might be a blueprint on how to kind of get Adrian out of sorts because uh, Joe Francis looked very ordinary against it. They really didn't have an answer. Um, they obviously made a great run in the fourth, which I missed, but um, I've read about it, and it sounds like they, they handled it. Um, Javen Toomey Patterson from Napoleon, I thought was outstanding. I thought that was pretty cool that he got to play well and be the player of the game in that Napoleon Stockbridge game on the, you know, in, in, in the, the, the court, if you probably court looks a little different than when his dad played, but his dad is a, was an outstanding player at Spring Arbor, um, years ago. So I think that's pretty cool for that family. Um, Joey Cabana from Chelsea. We mentioned him a lot on this podcast, but that was an effortless 29 points. I mean, I think he could have scored 40. Did he miss? He missed a three. He was he was six of seven from three and 11 of 14 from the field. Yeah. And I just felt like he could have, he could have got 40 if he really wanted. He just he, he goes about his business without a lot of it doesn't look like, he's you know, he's, he's exerting a lot of energy or effort. But he is he's very composed. He gets better and better. Um, yeah, he was he was impressive that he looked like a a college level guard in a lot of ways. And um, uh I, I thought the uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug Bo Lincoln from Olivet in the first game, even though it's not in our coverage area. But he's my guy. Uh, 14 points, 15 rebounds, and seven assists from a point guard who really played totally under control and played offense and defense extremely well for us. And we were a little shorthanded and still came away with a nice win. But um, that kid, being a three-sport athlete, who doesn't spend as much time on basketball as a lot of other you know uh, basketball guys probably that we're talking about. Yeah, he had an outstanding day, and I, uh, I was happy for him too. So. It was good. It was, it was, uh, like I said, a lot of good talent, a lot of good coaching, um, 10 teams that looked like they uh, had a great experience and, and we got to play with the shot clock. So I think we're all, we were all happy. I thought um, it was fitting. Paul Marendette made a comment at the end of the day that I thought was pretty fitting. The, a lot of the kids that grew up in that gym, going to camps there mm. around, around that campus, around that university 
really had great days yesterday. Maybe yeah. there's some comfort level there. Maybe the fact that they want to shine in that environment. I mean, Joey Cabana has gone to a lot of the, those elite camps there. Jake Stevens with seven points and 15 rebounds for us yesterday. Mm. A kid that's spent a lot of time on that campus. Luke Trope, that gym's a second gym, a home away from home from him. And it looked like it, the way he shot the basketball, you know, the Patterson kid, the Moffitt kid. I mean, if you think about it, the kids that really played well yesterday spent a lot of time in that gym and, and it really showed. I can speak a little more. I mean, that, that the first game of the day, the Olivet Homer game, I thought that would be a more competitive game than it was. And Olivet's down a few guys. We don't really talk about uh, Homer much. They're actually, I think, very pretty clearly, in my opinion, the favorite in the Big Eight. And uh, they have a, they have some talented kids. They're very gritty. So that was a, uh, an impressive game for Olivet. I still think that you'll hear from Homer as the year goes on. Uh, the last game of the night, I did watch the first half of the Western Hanover game. I've seen four of Western's games now to this point, so I'm pretty familiar with them. They have some really talented guards. I know yesterday it was Cole Wilcox um, that had a very good game. He's just an extremely good athlete. Um, you know, he gets up and down the floor really well. He creates a lot of havoc in their in their kind of trapping defense that they use, um, and he can also shoot the three ball. So he, he was a big player for them that night. I think he'll continue to do that. I know him and Cam Carter was huge for them the other day against Northwest, so they have a few different guys that can put up big numbers. It was good to see Carson Sanders back in action. Um, the rumor had it coming into the game that he was on a, a minutes limit um, is what I heard, I guess, just from somebody in the stands. I don't know if that was actually true or not. He, he didn't start the game, but – um, as the game went on, he seemed to get more and more comfortable. He had a couple stretches in the first half, just trying to keep Hanover in that game um, where he he had a single, single-handedly had a 6-0 run at one point, and he, he really was showing some flash. He had a nice dunk and everything. So uh, he looks like he still is is getting back into into form, but uh, they they uh, they definitely need him. And I think once he gets there, that they'll still be a competitive team in the Cascades. So, so as the Napoleon head coach, were you really happy to see Carson Sanders back? <laughs> I'm just joking. I, I think we all were. We all were. No doubt. I, I mean, if he wants to sit out your game just to rest, I'm sure you wouldn't mind. So, I would um, not mind. I would not mind. <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. I, you know, what, jumping all over the place here. Um, but you know what? I was thinking about watching that Adrian game and then seeing the Western score after. Who is the favorite now to win that district with Western, Adrian, and Onstead? Who would be your early season favorite right now if you had to – I mean, that's a tough district because Tecumseh, I think Tecumseh boys are 4-1 and one as well. Uh, so who, who's your favorite to win that district right now? <laughs> I've seen all three teams play live. Um, goodness, I – you know, I like Onstead a lot. I really like Onstead a lot. I don't know that they're going to get challenged, though, like these other teams are. Um, like Onstead might be undefeated going into that district. I, I don't know. I mean, they, they're. I think they're going to roll in their conference. And, and Aiden Davis is legit. Um, the, the guard they have, what's it, Hannigan, I think. Uh, yeah. Dayton Hannigan, he, he's really good. Um, I think they're gonna, they're not going to get challenged the way that Adrian is at times and the way that Western and Northwest for sure are in the I-8. Um, or I guess we're not talking about Northwest with this, but that, that is a very good question. I guess if I had to guess right now, I'd go Onstead, but I mean, it can go any way with, with those three. I've seen him. I, I've only seen him on video, both, uh, both of those teams and actually seen um, Adrian live yesterday. I kind of like Western and, and because of what Derek alluded to, I think they're going to, they're going to be sharper when the year ends, just having played in the I eight and they're, they're going to actually take some beatings in the I eight. I mean, there's some teams, there's some high level teams on the other end of that uh, schedule. Um, 
but they're they're a very good team. They've got a lot of they got talent. They got the ability to score the ball, which I think is 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 critical in the district. You, you know, yeah, everybody can defend by then. You got everybody figured out, but you still got to be able to score the ball in key situations. They seem to have some firepower. Uh, but uh, Armstead, yeah, it's like, or can they handle you know the type of pressure that maybe Western's going to put on them in that game and the switching D's? But then they do have the six nine, six ten kid in the middle, the Davis kid. So that's is is a uh, that's, that's quite a an ace in their hole uh, to play. So. Um, thoughts on some of the other games. I mean, there was, you know, not, there weren't, wasn't a ton of action, but we obviously had the event at North Farmington, the shot clock games. We had the, um, the motor city, uh, round ball classic, a, a girls and a boys side of it. And they got the, the event over at airport high school going on. Um, uh, I saw the Gabe Richard boys and the Gabe Richard girls both lost to Lansing Catholic. I, um, I was kind of surprised by the boys score a little bit. I thought maybe that would be, little more competitive I thought they ended up losing by 14 Richard boys did I thought maybe they might even win that game um did not surprise me I guess that the Lansing Catholic girls beat the Richard girls um just because of uh, the firepower they have but um anything catch your eye I think the the two things that jumped out to me um I mean that that girls game Lansing Catholic uh Gabriel Richard girls game that's a quarterfinal type game I think Coach Kane called it maybe a regional final. I think maybe because they would see each other in the regional final. But th- those are Breslin Center type teams. Um, great coaches, great talent on the floor. And that, that I'm sure was an incredible game. But it, what caught my eye is that Gabrielshire girls have already played nine games. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, and Coach Kane's very smart. He, he's been doing this for a long time. Hopefully, he saves some scrimmages for the second half. Otherwise. There's going to be some long weeks with a lot of practices and no games in there. That that's half your season worth of games already by New Year's, which is which is awesome in December. But but uh, I, I don't know how that will shake out for the girls in January, February. I think part of that though is because they're they're tournament. I think they have a tournament at the end, or if that's I don't know if that's just the boys, but that caught my eye. And the other thing that caught my eye, how about the Celine Hornets? I mean. What are they four and one right now with a two point loss at the buzzer to Ann Arbor Huron? I mean, right. they had nine seniors and a new coach, and they have it rolling right now early. I mean, coach is doing a great job over there. They're competing, they're handling teams easily. They got a new leading score every game. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of like unselfishness. A lot of guys happy to be playing hard and playing together. And and sounds like Slim basketball is, is the real deal. Yeah, Celine, uh, Celine posted a 57-49 win over Wald Lake Northern to, to get that record uh, to 4-1. and one. They're playing in the uh, holiday extravaganza at North Farmington. Um, you're right, uh, very impressive. Their only loss is to Huron. Huron, who, by the way, uh, lost its first game yesterday, I think, to Detroit Martin Luther King only by six in a game that was very competitive. Um Huron is proving to be a high-level team again. So with Celine's only loss being to Huron, uh, that the level of play in the SEC Red is is, is top-notch again. Um, again, yeah, yeah, Coach America, again, chatting with him a little bit, uh, he, he was also excited about the shot clock. He said his players were really in favor of it, and he'd, uh, he'd like some more time to prepare since they, they kind of found this game like 24 hours beforehand. And uh, I'm not even sure he was aware that they were going to be playing with a shot clock until right before the game. I thought I read that somewhere. But, yes, they are – the Hornets are off to a great start for sure. That's crazy. And, and Skyline just beat Ludington. And, I mean, Monroe's playing today uh, at the event we're playing at. The, the SEC Red is, is for real. No doubt about that. Uh, it is crazy to think that I, I think uh, 
you know, with Celine, they picked up that game right before. So you have no real prep for the team you're playing. And I want to say like one of Huron's games they played, I think like looking at the graphics posted on Twitter, I thought I saw one of their like opponents just like changed like at the last second too. Like imagine that you're prepping for a team, prepping for a team. Then, Oh, you're playing someone else. I just, that would drive you crazy. But uh, anyways, yeah, that's great. I, I did see that um, the Dexter girls hit 14 threes. I think I saw yesterday and Bree Rodriguez had 20 points. I always got to get Bree on the uh, shout out is the brass out lane uh, neighbors, but um, they had, ten, they the had 10 threes in the first half yesterday. Yeah. The Dexter girls did. So yeah, they just, they shot it. They're shooting like the Chelsea boys right now. For goodness sake. Yeah. My the college three-point line did not affect the Bulldogs yesterday. You guys had that taped down dash line up there. Not that anyone was shooting at it, but. No, it, it, was, it was probably a waste of time. We, we did put a, da, a, a dotted line down, a high school line on the college court over at Spring Arbor, but most of the kids just stood behind the college line because that's where their eyes took them. It was a thicker line, too. Um, and, yeah, I, I seemed like teams, you know, eventually adjusted. And the, the, the amount of threes that went in seemed to like it'd be pretty much the normal amount um, so it wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal, but a couple other things of note, just to mention, um, Arbor prep girls, uh, play Frankenmuth in the uh, motor city round ball classic this week. Uh, they beat them by 30, um, 75, 45 Frankenmuth was five and zero going into the game and Arbor prep. There's more like the freshman girl I saw, you know, scored double digits, knocking down perimeter shots. Some girl we haven't even mentioned on the podcast so much that I can't even remember her name. Um, but she was <laughs> knocking down stuff and they're celebrating all kinds of good players over there. Um, Coach Stein your... said they, they were missing some of their players yeah. too. They yeah, didn't have everybody and they win by 30. Like, that's for sure. Like, what be a, <laughs> a strong Frank and Moo team. By the way, uh, I, we, we've covered these girls a little bit. Tecumseh girls are seven and zero right now with seven blowouts. There's only the 22 is the closest any team's come. And if you take that one away, they've all been in the thirties, forties. I think there's even been a couple in the fifties. Um, in terms of margin of victory, they are rolling. They have not been tested. They may keep rolling. They got a couple tough games. I think the Einstein girls are pretty good in a non-league game coming up. But they they don't even play Chelsea till February first, like the whole month of January. Um, that that game was always going to be interesting, I think, but maybe becoming more interesting. They're they're good. They seem to be very good. Yeah, I think those two programs right now are in very different places. I mean, Chelsea, they had not played since December 10th against Marshall. Uh, they played yesterday, beat a good Riverview team. Chelsea's Chelsea, I think, is only going to get better every single day, and they need the opportunities to play games. And and Tony Shelford did a really good job of scheduling really tough teams non-league. Uh, Marshall's very good. They got a Battle Creek Lakeview team coming up. They went on the road early in the year. So they're, they're playing some really tough competition. They play Grass Lake. And it's a little bit the opposite for Tecumseh right now. I had a chance to talk to John Zajac, Christie's husband, the other day. And what he said was, we are very good, but we don't know how good we are because the teams we, we've played are, are not very good. So they, they probably need to be challenged right now just to kind of learn a little bit about themselves. Um, and I think it's the opposite for, for Chelsea. They're playing a really tough schedule, and I think that they know a lot about themselves right now. So I, I can't wait to see those two teams play as well. Okay, before we go, uh, one last thing before we hit the road. Um, we've got uh, the college football playoffs coming up. Uh, today's, again, the 30th. So tomorrow we've got the semifinals. we got Alabama and Cincinnati, followed by uh, beloved Wolverines against Georgia in the nightcap. And then the, the national championship game, of course, is January uh, 10. Uh, any, any predictions on, on what we're about to see? I think, yeah, I think this is interesting. Um, it's awesome to have Michigan playing in this game. Um, obviously, it wasn't something that many people expected of anybody uh, coming into the year. 
obviously the, the rumors about Dax Hill or wherever his status is, is a little uh, uh, concerning. If you're uh, hoping to take Michigan in this one, I think, yeah, if you're, if you're really looking to uh, get this correct, you, you probably have to pick Georgia and Alabama um, in the semis. I, I do think Michigan can, can keep in a game. I think it'll be, they have the ability to keep it low scoring and keep it close um, against Georgia. I just think that, um, the matchups are probably not quite in their favor. I, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked if Michigan were to win, but um, I'd probably have to pick uh, Georgia if I'm being honest. And I think Alabama, um, I think it'll be a closer game than some people expect. I know that uh, Cincinnati's got some really good cornerbacks, which I think will help with uh, Alabama's receivers, especially since the one guy is out, uh, Mechie's out. Um, I think like Sauce Gardner or something is the guy's name for uh <laughs> For Cincinnati, he's a stud defensive back. But anyways, I think I think Alabama win. I actually think then that Georgia would beat Alabama in the championship. That's my prediction. I think um, if I'm right, Cincinnati also has a guy on their team named Kobe Bryant. I'm pretty sure that plays for them as well. Hmm. So uh, anyways, I like Alabama big over Cincinnati. I, I would say 42-24, kind of like them to roll, especially late. I like Michigan in a low-scoring game over Georgia. I'll go 27 27- 23 and I like that game I like Michigan in that game um, and then I like Alabama in, in an incredibly high scoring game with no defense being played against Michigan maybe 52 45 in the national championship game I, I I'd like Alabama to win it all again but I like Michigan getting there if what you just predicted is, is accurate I'll take that as a Michigan fan and that yeah that would mean losing in the national championship game but I would be really excited if that's the outcome I as a Michigan fan, I'm a little worried that uh, they could get overwhelmed against uh, uh, Georgia. I have Alabama winning uh, easily. I think one of two things happens against Cincinnati. Either that that Southern speed uh, overwhelms the Midwest speed early in the game, and the next thing before in Cincinnati blinks, it's 21 to nothing. You've seen that happen in games like this before. Or Cincinnati is, has a great scheme and a great plan, and they hang around with Alabama for a while, but Alabama pulls away in the second half. And in both scenarios, I see Alabama winning by double digits, maybe even over 20. Michigan, man, I, I hope they I hope they can play with Alabama. If if they can stay competitive uh, in the first half, they don't, you know, and, and they can put a few points up because I think Alabama, Georgia's going to score a little bit on them. I think Michigan's got a chance and could pull off the upset. But I just worry that uh, that that defense, it was their pride got got hurt against Alabama. And I think that was more schematic maybe than personnel. And Michigan probably learned from that, but I'm sure Georgia learned from it as well. So I, I could see Georgia's defense just smothering Michigan. And if they force a turnover too, which Michigan usually doesn't do, uh, look out, it, it could get ugly for Michigan. But I would if I had to bet money, I would pick Georgia and then I'll take Alabama in the championship game. So fun. Anyway, it's going to be fun regardless. It's going to be fun regardless. So, And I'm okay with them playing on New Year's Eve. I know a lot of people are uh, upset about that because they like to be two sheets to the wind uh, by, by 7 o'clock p.m. on New Year's Eve. I, I'm a non-drinker, so I'm, I'm all about football that night. I'm, I'm too old to be worried about parties. Well, and let's, let's go. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm fine with that day. You, you should – everybody should be staying. With the new COVID strain out there, like overwhelming 80% of the country, I hopefully everybody's staying home. I mean, it's just – it's unbelievable right now how many people have it. It's crazy. And, and, you know, it's not as bad of a strain and stuff. And it seems like people are being, you know, doing all right. But holy cow, it's crazy. I mean, just stay home, watch the games, good excuse. And, you know, maybe order some, uh, some dinner or something or make some dinner, whatever you got to do. I'll tell you what, though, I, I need to eat some salad for dinner. I, I, if I have a New Year's resolution after watching my game on film yesterday, 
holy cow, I got to lose some weight. And apparently I got to watch where my hands go too. Cause I don't want to look, I mean, I'm just, I'm just lucky Derek didn't call me an overweight little elf. I mean that, I mean, cause he could have based on the film. I'm like, Oh, I mean, I know video adds 10 pounds, but I need to lose 30. Yeah, I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm, I'm, I'm the, I have the craziest movements and whatever the heck I'm doing on the sidelines. I'm just messing around with you. Cause you could do the same with me without a doubt. <laughs> Like I get I get dizzy during games for standing up too much. I need to sit down more. I get a little too dizzy. I can't stand up for like an hour at a time. So that's that's a that's a that's an age thing though. But anyway, man, good talking to you guys. It was a great day for the podcast group yesterday. We 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 all held serve at the at the event. I I think they're gonna they're gonna do this again at Spring Arbor next year. I I assume we'll we'll have a chance to maybe participate again. Um, and I think that'll be a lot of fun. But anyway, uh, to our to our listeners and all of you guys, happy New Year. And uh, go blue, and we'll talk to you soon.